Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. Uh, we are in week one of what is hopefully a two-week pause. Um, this week and next week for sure, Faith on Hill will be 100% online and uh, let you know about a few things that are still happening. So we have a toy drive for Toy and Joy, uh, getting Christmas toys and presents to underprivileged kids in our community. We also have a food drive for Wichita Family Center. Both of those things are still happening. So uh, go out, get toys for kids, uh, canned food or shelf-stable food for those in need, and uh, hopefully in three Sundays, we'll just collect them all then. But uh, we are making plans to collect them no matter what. So uh, keep your ears open for that. Um, even if you don't go to our church, but you're just watching this and, and you want to help with that, uh, you, you can. Uh, we'll let you know how once we've de determined the best way uh, to do that. Now, like I said, uh, this is week one of a, a two-week pause. We are uh, keeping our, our, uh, all our options open right now. Uh, our leadership is still figuring out how to best approach uh, whatever happens in week three. So be praying for us. Uh, in the meantime, one other thing I just wanted to let you know about is this week is Thanksgiving. So if you uh, know of somebody or if you yourself uh, are having a hard time uh, with everything that's going on uh, and, and you say, hey, I, I'm not going to be able to afford to have Thanksgiving dinner this week, let us know office at faithonhill.com. Email us, uh, shoot us a message over our Facebook, however it is uh, that you're connecting with us. Um, let us know if we can help. Uh, and that's just generally true right now. Uh, if, if this is going to be a, a hard holiday season for you or somebody that you know, especially because of the pandemic and everything that's going along with that, reach out. We're here for you. We're a church that is here for this community. Uh, last thing I want to say is uh, it is Thanksgiving week, so if you do feel alone or disconnected, reach out. Uh, you are not alone. Uh, if you are uh, in our church and you're feeling connected and, and not alone, but you say, hey, who can I reach out to? I'd encourage you to do that as well. All right. Uh, we're looking forward to continuing our, our uh, series of messages through the stories of the Christian faith and uh, look forward to sharing this one with you as well. God bless you. Now, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving as we continue to study God's Word together. The church is not canceled. Don't let anybody tell you different. The church has never been canceled, and we are still here. Uh, so make sure to say hello in the chat. Um, make sure to, to hey, let us know that you're here, whether you're on uh, with us on faithonhill.com, which is the best viewing experience, by the way. If you're over at our Facebook page, uh, get over to faithonhill.com. If you're listening with the audio feed on the podcast at Apple Music or Spotify, you just type in Faith on Hill and you'll find us. But um, faithonhill.com every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. is the best viewing experience. But however you're viewing this, whenever you're viewing this, we want to let you know that you are welcome here. We have been telling the stories of the Christian faith. Uh, what we, The stories that we tell, the stories that God tells, the stories that we actually live by. And this week, we're going to be talking about the church. This is not a church history class, not a church history lecture. If you're interested in the story of how the church got from where it started to where we are now, uh, remember a few weeks ago, I had that stack of books that I was said, hey, if you want some resources, check these out. 
If you are interested in church history, I would love to point you in the direction of some podcasts or some books or some blogs or whatever. Uh, I love history and I specifically love church history. So I would love to point you in the, in the direction of church history resources. But this morning, I want to talk about where we are now. What, what do people say about the church as it is today? What does God say about the church as it is today? And what stories do we actually live by? Some people say that the church is a social club. Both Christians and non-Christians believe that. Non-Christians who are looking for a positive place for the church and society might say that the church is a, uh, a social benefit. They might not use the word social club, but they would say that the church has a positive social benefit in connecting and networking people in community. Uh, there are older people who otherwise would not be connected with younger people if it were not for the church. And there are younger people who would not be otherwise connected with older people if it were not for the church. Or the church has a positive social connection in looking out for the poor uh, or, or helping people to stay out of poverty. I actually have found in the last few years, one of the ministries of our church has been helping to keep people out of homelessness. Some churches are very focused on helping the homeless. And for whatever reason, I have found that some of the things behind the scenes and, and we don't, because of people's privacy and people's dignity, we don't make a big deal about it. But behind the scenes over the last several years, God has put us in position to help people stay out of homelessness. And so non-Christians looking for a positive uh, view of the church will say, yeah, church has a social uh, purpose. Christians might look at the church and they may not use the word social club, but that's how they seem to view it. It's almost like their own private clubhouse. Um, you know, we built this building, we maintained this building, and everything is geared towards the interest of the social club that we call a church. And new members, uh, they're not as important. We have to make sure that older members are taken care of. And I don't just mean older members in age. I mean people that have been here a long time. You could be a brand new member and be, uh, you know, the oldest person in the room. But if you're in your 40s, but you grew up in that church, you have higher standing because it's a social club. Some people don't see the church as a social club. They see it as a social force or a political force. And it's interesting, um, churches that tend to be on the left tend to speak in terms of social force, whereas churches that tend to be on the right tend to, tend to speak in terms of political force. What I mean by that is this. Um, Churches on the left tend to speak in terms of social justice, and churches on the right tend to talk about political action. Uh, we need to rally the vote for this cause, but, but it's all kind of the same thing. And I'm obviously speaking in generalities. Uh, somebody's like, you know, Adam, are you right wing or are you left wing? Neither. I am here as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach the word of God to whoever would listen. But there's definitely a story that is told about the church as a political or social force, good or bad. Some people only see the church as representing the political view that they disagree with. Some people only see the church as forwarding a political agenda that they are in favor of. Others see the church as a business. I have found that non-Christians who don't like the church almost always will point to this tiny fraction of churches where the pastor uh, wears a $5,000 suit 
has a massive TV show or a private jet. Or they'll talk about the small church in their town that seems to run like a family business. And it's just a, a small group of people, but everything seems to be around uh, giving jobs to the pastor or his family. Christians and non-Christians see the church this way, for good or for, or for you would hope, or for bad, I guess. You would hope it would be all like, that would all be viewed as bad. But, you know, some people see positive, I guess. Some people see the church as an outreach center. And when I was, I, I'm just old enough to uh, have been alive the last time Billy Graham came to Seattle. I grew up in Seattle, and I remember um, uh, when the last Billy Graham crusade to come to the Pacific Northwest was. And that sort of crusade outreach style evangelism, Billy Graham, Luis Palau, Greg Laurie, has largely gone away. And I believe that it has been replaced by the outreach of established local churches. Uh, and, and I believe there are churches that when you look at how they structure their whole ministry program, it's essentially around gospel outreach in, in the same way that Billy Graham used to go to from town to town and, and get a bunch of people together. They just stay in one town and get a bunch of people together. And I am all for gospel outreach. The problem comes when the church is only about gospel outreach and then never does anything with the people that have been saved. You know, there's these saying, you know, the church isn't, it's, it isn't just within these four walls, it's beyond these four walls, and I've said it, so don't think I'm knocking that statement. But what happens if you don't care about the people inside the building as much as you care about the people on the outside? In the same breath, there are those who see the church as a family, and you know that I use that wording a lot, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are adopted daughters and sons of the King of Heaven that we are a family. At the same time, if you only care about the inside of the church, the family on the inside, and then you say, well, the people out there, they know where we are if they want to join us. And you don't have any concern about those who are lost and who are dying in their sins. I've, I've, I remember a couple years ago talking with leaders of a church, and they were talking about their discipleship or their Christian education program. And they said, we are ready, bring them on. We are ready to train up a new generation of, of Jesus followers. But they had no concern for outreach and they had no concern for the lost. And, and their entire church program wasn't built around outreach. It was built around internal uh, discipleship programs. And they had like a five-stage discipleship program. But what happens when everybody in the church has gone through level one? And there's no one left to take level one because they're not reaching people. What happens if they've gone, the whole church has been through level five. You're all level five disciples now. But then there's nobody new to come and impart that knowledge or experience to. These are the different stories people tell about the church. It's a social club. Oh, it's a social force. It's all about outreach. No, it's all about discipleship. The church is a family. Now the church feels more like it's a business. But what does God say? God says this. Acts chapter 2. Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. And then he ascended to heaven. And he told his disciples to wait in the city of Jerusalem. And he said, wait there to receive power 
from the Holy Spirit. And they were waiting. And on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, about 150 of Jesus' followers, including the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples, because Judas who betrayed him had, had, had committed suicide, but his disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Salome, and many of the other faithful women who had been with him in his ministry, and many others were there, about 150 were gathered in the city of Jerusalem waiting, and the Holy Spirit descended, and the first gospel message was preached to a large crowd, and 2,000 people on that day alone gave their, their hearts to Jesus. They placed faith in Jesus, and they became Christians, and the church was established. What does God tell us about the church? God says, I established it. In Acts chapter 2, why was there a church? Because God descended in power and he established it. And then at the end of Acts chapter 2, what do you see? You see all these people who had become Christians, they are gathered together, Acts chapter 2 verse 42, that they continued together in the apostles' teaching, that's Bible teaching, Bible study. They continued together in the apostles' teaching in prayer, in the breaking of bread, and in fellowship. So the apostles' teaching, Bible study, Bible teaching, uh, the discussion that we have in our small groups, that's all the apostles' teaching. And in prayer, we, when we're in person, we, we put a big we put a, uh, emphasis on prayer in our service. In our small groups, we put an emphasis on prayer in our small groups. Uh, the breaking of bread probably means communion. So worship, uh, communion. It might actually just mean a meal together. And pre-COVID and post-COVID, we will be eating together and in fellowship that we're connected with one another. But that establishment happened by God. So the story that God tells about the church is, it's my church. I established it. I started it. And God established the church because he had a mission and he established the church for the purpose of fulfilling his mission. What is his mission? to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem because they will receive power and then they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And what that means for us is that we are to be Jesus' witnesses in Milwaukee, Oak Grove, and Gladstone, in the greater Portland area, in Oregon, across the country and to the ends of the earth that we have been given this mission to be a witness. I was recently a witness in a deposition. It, it went well, by the way, for those of you who are praying for me, thank you. But I was recently a witness. What does a witness do? The witness just says, here's what I saw, here's what I know, here's the facts as I know them. And that's it. It's not my job to convince anyone. It's not my job to twist anyone's arm and say, you will believe me. I just gave my testimony. Somebody asked me recently, a friend of mine said, how do I share my faith? And I said, hey, you know what? I don't have a hard time telling people about my wife because I know my wife and I love my wife and I'm excited about my wife. I don't have a hard time telling people about my kids because I know my kids and I love my kids and I'm excited about my kids. And if I know Jesus and if you know Jesus, and you know the love of God, and you are returning that love, and if you are excited because of the work that God is doing in your life, 
It's not hard to tell people about that. But I don't know the answer about this question. You know what? Maybe I don't either. Somebody says, ask me a question about my wife. And I know probably more about my wife than just about anybody. But maybe there's something I don't know. You know, we've been, uh, this next spring will be uh, our our 10-year anniversary. Um, we've been We've been dating for almost 11 years. We've been married for almost 10 years. We've known each other for longer. I know a long time. A, a lot about my wife, more than just about anyone. But there's always something new to learn or something I go, hey, hey, I was thinking about this. Is, is this true about you? You know, my kids are always surprising me. I mean, I know more about my kids than anybody, right? And then they'll do something to totally shock me. And I go, huh, that's interesting. Okay. They have a talent that I didn't know about. They have an interest that I didn't know about. They have an opinion that I was unaware of. but I know them and I love them and I'm excited about them so I can tell you about them. So just because there's some piece of theology or history or understanding that you don't have about the Christian faith or about God or about our salvation, that doesn't mean that you can't be a witness of Jesus because you know what Jesus has done in your life. And the more that you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, the more you can share. The second part of God's mission or his purpose, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20, Jesus says, make disciples. A disciple is not just somebody who's a fan. Hey, I like Jesus too. Yay, Jesus. A disciple is somebody who changes their life to be more like their master. If my master only wears blue socks, then I will only wear blue socks. If my master is only a fan of a National League baseball because he thinks the designated hitter is dumb, then I will be a fan of only National League baseball. Now, I don't think the designated hitter is dumb. I'm a big fan of the designated hitter in baseball, but that's beside the point. I'm, I'm making these silly examples to say that whatever my master is doing, I as a disciple am going to do or I'm going to emulate. And as a disciple of Jesus, what is Jesus interested in? I need to make that my interest. How is Jesus towards people? Then that's how I need to live towards people. And so the other part of the mission that God has given his church is to make disciples. We're not teaching people, this is how you behave at Faith on Hill. We're not teaching people, this is how you act like me, so that we just make little clones of ourselves. We're showing people, this is how you become like Jesus. There's two big words that I think every Christian should know. Justification and sanctification. Justification is being made right before God. That's the witness part. We're going to tell you the good news of Jesus so that in faith you can also believe and you can have your sins forgiven and because of Jesus's goodness you can be good and right before God. That's justification. And then discipleship. We're going to we're going to equip you so that you can be more like Jesus. That's sanctification to be set apart, to be made holy to be more like Jesus. Are you tired of always floundering in your faith? Then get near somebody who can help disciple you so that you can have victory in that area. God established the church. He has given us a purpose or a mission. And not only that, he empowers us. When did the church start? It started when the Holy Spirit descended. I believe that God the Holy Spirit is working 
in and through Christians today, just as he did among the first Christians. That the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that allowed the disciples and the apostles to do miraculous things is and can be and will be working in and through us as Christians, individually and collectively as a church family. I believe that God has established the church, that he has given us a purpose, and that he empowers us. We talked last week about the two covenants, and that's one of the reasons why the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. Because the old covenant, the law, the Old Testament law, said, here's everything God wants. Now you need to be good enough for God. The new covenant of grace says, here's everything God wants, and you're never going to be good enough for it, but Jesus is good enough for it. And here's everything God wants you to do, and you don't have enough strength to do it, but God the Holy Spirit is going to give you the strength, and he's going to empower you so that you can live in the victory of Jesus. God's given the church, he's given us a purpose, and he's empowered us. And he's given us structure. Now, I am personally very convinced that even the very first churches did not look all alike. There is no verse in the Bible, no book of the Bible that says this is exactly what every church needs to have exactly like this. I believe that if you were to go to the first churches within the first 50 years of church existence, that the church in North Africa probably looked different than the church in India. And yes, there was a church in India within the first 50 years. That the church in Spain might have looked different than the church in Damascus, Syria. That God gave a basic framework or a structure, and then he allowed us the freedom and the flexibility to adapt to the cultural context that he had placed us in. That a church in Philadelphia might look very different than a church here in Portland. A, a church, our church here, hundred years ago looked different than our church does today. In, in, in 2020, it looks different than it did in 1920 because we are in a different time and a different context and a different situation. We have the same basic framework, but we're in a different context. So what is the basic structure that God gives the church? Well, I already mentioned Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The basic structure of the church we should be studying the Bible together. We should be praying together. We should be in fellowship or community with one another. We should be worshiping God through communion and through prayer and through song and however else we can find a way to worship God. All of those basics are still there. That basic structure exists. And it's amazing. You go from one church to another and, and, and their order of service. That church does communion first. That church does communion last. That church does communion every month. That church does communion every week. There's a lot of flexibility within that structure. But it's the same church. And it's the same structure. I, I believe that God has raised up the church. And then to oversee that church, he's given overseers or elders. First uh, Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Your, your translation of the Bible might say elder. Uh, it might have some other word for it, but it's the same idea that God's given overseers. And then further down in chapter 3, 
he says in the same way deacons and this word deacon uh, refers to somebody who serves the church uh, I, I believe that our trustees are deacons they serve the church by by helping to help uh, oversee our facilities and our properties uh, I believe that uh, Jake and Heather is our, our youth leaders are deacons. I believe that our leadership council and our pastor parish team are deacons. They help serve the church. Uh, in, in different church structures, they see the overseer or the elder differently. Uh, some churches, they have a council of elders or a shared eldership. A lot of reformed churches have gone that way. Uh, some churches, um, they, they have one elder. In fact, our church, that's kind of the setup. Uh, in our denomination's history, is that there was the elders of the church, that's the pastors, and then the idea is that we're all overseeing all of the churches, and then um, and that made a lot more sense like 50 years ago when they would move the pastors every year or two. That was how it used to be, was that we have a superintendent, he's like the bishop, and he will assign the pastors every year. Now, in reality, there's no danger. Nobody was worried uh, when we had annual conference the other week that that all of a sudden Superintendent Randy was going to announce a new pastor for Faith on Hill. But that is the system that we come from. And so like 50 years ago, hey, uh, you didn't know every, every time annual conference happened, uh, are we going to still have our pastor? But the idea was that the pastors were collectively the overseers of our churches, and then we would assign a different overseer every year to a different church. There's a lot of flexibility I'm not so much interested in what something's called as what it does, because I know if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church, they have a board of deacons, but that board of deacons is the functional elders of the church. Like I said, a lot of charity, a lot of flexibility. Uh, I personally believe, and I'm not teaching uh, church leadership or 1 Timothy. That We'll get to 1 Timothy, I'm sure, at some point. We're teaching through the whole Bible. But I personally believe that God calls certain men to be elders or overseers of the church. Uh, I believe that, that there are probably elders in our church locally that we have not yet called as such or recognized as such, and it is my intention at some point to do so. But in the meantime, I'd say this, that God's calling everyone to serve. And what happens in the American church is we put all this emphasis in the word pastor. And so we say, well, you know, they're the pastor. Does that mean they're an elder? No, I don't believe they do. Now, I want to have a lot of grace and respect and charity for people that have a different view than I do or a different understanding of the scripture than I do. This is not a salvation issue. This doesn't affect whether you get into heaven or whether, whether you love God or not. People have different views. Some people say pastor, elder, same thing. I don't believe that's the case. The word pastor means a shepherd, somebody who cares or shepherds the souls of, of people in the church. And I recognize the pastoral gift in people who they themselves would say, no, I don't believe that I am called to be an elder or overseer of the church. And yet we recognize that they care about people's souls in a very shepherding or pastoral way. By the way, that's why I believe that women can be pastors. Absolutely. I personally would prefer an egalitarian point of view. The word egalitarian means everybody's equal. That men, women, everyone's equal. Old, young, everyone's equal. Yet, that's not what the scriptures say. 
And as I understand the, the scriptures, that the model is for male leadership in the home and in the church. I believe that God has called husbands and fathers to lead their families. I believe that that God, and, and I'm, I'm backing this up by Ephesians chapter 5, Genesis chapter 2, and, and chapter 3 of Genesis as well, and several other places. So I'm not just pulling this out of, my, out of nowhere, right? But I believe that God has called you husbands and you fathers to lead your family. Does that mean that your wife is not responsible? That your wife isn't a, a good co-leader with you? Absolutely not. Uh, my wife and I are a team. But I also believe that at the end of the day, I'm responsible, responsible for the spiritual and emotional health and well-being of my kids and my wife. I also believe that for the church, that God calls certain men to have an oversight of the church as elders and that they are responsible for, for that ministry. But, but Adam, you, you, you've said before that you believe that women can preach Yes, because here's the thing. Let's be consistent. We see in the Bible non-elders preaching and teaching. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, Stephen preached the gospel to the leaders of his people. But he was not an elder, he was a deacon. In, in the gospel of Mark, which we just finished studying, the first person to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus to preach the gospel is a woman, Mary Magdalene. In the book of Acts, there was this guy, Apollos, who was preaching and teaching, but he didn't have a full understanding of the gospel. So this guy, Aquila, and his wife, Priscilla, pulled him aside, spent time with him, discipled him, trained him, educated him. Priscilla was discipling Apollos. But Stephen, who preached the gospel to the leaders of his people, was not an elder. Priscilla did not claim to be an elder. And yet they were teaching and discipling and preaching. So what I asked myself, because I want to be consistent logically. Remember, I'm not interested in what a word is called. I'm interested in word, what a word means or what it does. So if I were to say... Can a, is a person, I don't believe elder and pastor are the same thing, yes? So if I see a woman who have an obvious calling and, and gifting from God to care for people's souls, wouldn't I recognize her as a pastor? If I see a woman who is gifted in, in teaching the Bible or preaching the gospel, just as Stephen was, who was not an elder, wouldn't I recognize that ability in her and want to encourage it? If you're a woman and you're saying, is there a place for me here in the church to lead a ministry, to teach the Bible, to preach the gospel, to disciple people? Yes. Is there, is there roles that women can't do? There's one role, and it's not just any, any dude can do it. It's, it. it's this role of elder. And by the way, I am open to being wrong about that. I'm not clenched fist and white knuckled. I, I just saying, I believe as I read the scripture that there is this one role of elder that's reserved for, for uh, called men. But you know what? 99% of the work of the church of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And I believe that women can be pastors and can preach and can teach and can lead and can disciple. And you know what? When I sat down to think who are like the top 
five decision makers in our church, I'm pretty sure three out of the five are women. You know, the, the, the Faith on Hill, it, it, we, um, it, it, the reason you haven't seen a woman teaching in, in, on a Sunday morning is just because, I, I, just because, honestly, I've actually invited a couple of gals to come and uh, fill in for me when I've been on vacation or something, and it just hasn't worked out in the scheduling. If you're, if you're looking around and you're saying, I'm a woman and I, I feel like God's calling me to serve him, is there a place for me in this church? Yes. I'm, I'm older and I want to serve God still and I see all the emphasis on youth. Can I still serve here? Yes. I'm younger, but it feels like the church is always for older people. I'm a younger person. And, and I mean a real younger person because, you know, sometimes people talk about younger people and they're talking about people like me in, in their late 30s, or early 40s. No, like a legit younger person. I'm 15. I'm 20, I'm 25. Can God use me? Yes. All of it is yes. We have this basic structure, overseers and deacons. And then how does that work out? Well, you know what? We'll figure it out because it's going to look different for us here in 2020 and it'll look different for us in 2025 or 2030 because we'll be then in a different, a little bit different context. We have a basic structure, teach the Bible, pray together, be in community, worship God, tell people about Jesus. But how that plays out changes all the time. So the story that God tells is he's established the church, he's given the church purpose, he's given the church mission, and he's empowered the church, and he's given some basic structure to it. Hey, you know what? Here's, here's some qualifications or some marks of people who are, are able to lead in the church. And here's the way the church should generally be. But not every church is going to look quite the same in how they let that play out. As long as we're living in the mission of God and the empowerment of God, I trust that God's going to work all those details out. So what story do we actually live by? Because there's the story we tell and the story we actually live by. By the way, story we tell and the story we live by. Uh, it's funny. I remember uh, one time somebody was giving me a hard time for my view on women in the church because they said it wasn't going far enough. That the idea that I think that there's this one role that is reserved for men, they thought was horrific. And they say, we have women pastors. I said, I know that. But I'm talking not about pastors. I'm talking about elder. Would your church ever have the, the senior pastor, the lead pastor be a woman? He said, no. I said, oh, okay. So there's the story that you tell, but that's not actually the story you're living by. What's the story we actually live by? You know what? I believe some people live by the story of the mess. They look at the church and they look at all the problems. They look at the, the bad spots in the history of the church or they look at the, the bad spots in the churches that exist right now and they only see the mess and they only see the problem. Some people look at the system and they say, you know what? I don't like that the church uh, isn't fitting my view of, of the system. You know, uh, somebody, somebody came to one of our churches from a Baptist background. They said, where's your board of deacons? Well, we're not a Baptist church. You know, we have a leadership team. Oh, it has to have this. Does it? Some people look at the system and all they can see is the system and the style. And if it's not the style or the system that I'm used to, then I don't like that either. I think that we need to choose to live by the fix. That's Jesus. Yes, 
Is there parts of the church or aspects of the church that are broken that need fixing? Absolutely. Are there systems or styles within the church that need adjusting? Sure. But Jesus is the fix for anything that's wrong because it's his church and we're living under his power. And if something's wrong, it's probably because we're not living by his power. But he's got the ability to change that. Do you have to go to church to be saved? No. But because I've been saved, I want to be where Jesus is and where his people are. And I want to connect with, with God's people. And so wherever God's people are, that's where I want to be. So for me, church has always been huge because I want to be where God's people are. Now I recognize that maybe you've had a bad experience. I recognize maybe you've got some baggage that makes going to church hard. I get that. I'm not saying you, you know, if you're that person and you're watching online, I'm not saying you have to be, you know, if next time we're able to meet in person, you better have your rear end in that seat. What I'm saying is overall, where are the people of God? That's where I want to be. And the people of God have always eventually kind of come together as the church. And, and, and I, I'll just tell you the truth. Even people that say, you know what, we don't want any of that tradition or any of that old religion. So then they just start meeting and, and, and one of two things happens. Either they fizzle out and they go back to established churches or they establish a new church family. And then the same thing happens all over again. I'm just looking, where's Jesus? Where, his, where are his people at? That's where I want to be. And God's given me a work to do and he's given you a work to do. And I want to do it together with you. I want us to be together, connected in partnership, you know, so that, so that God's work in our community is, is happening together. I, I think we are better together. We are worse when we are isolated. And so as a church family, we partner together. And then as a church family, we partner with other churches, both in our denomination and locally to say, hey, you know what? We're all part of the church in our we have the same basic structure. We have the same basic mission and how we're playing that out and how we're living that and how it's all working out might look different, but we know we have the same purpose and the same mission and our power is the same because we worship the same God. You know what? The church is not perfect. The church has problems. All that's true. But the church is where Jesus is and it's where Jesus' people are. And it's the structure that God has given us to carry out our mission, to be a witness in this world, and to make disciples. And I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I'm thankful to be your pastor. I'm glad that we are a church family. I wish we could be together uh, this week, this Sunday before Thanksgiving, but, but I am so thankful for technology that allows us to stay connected through, uh, through Zoom small groups, through texts, through whatever it is. And I'm going to say this. Thanksgiving is a hard time for some of us because it reminds us of people that we've lost or people that we want to be around but can't, and it's even more pronounced this year. If you are feeling low this week or especially this Thursday for Thanksgiving, reach out. Let somebody know. And, and it doesn't have to just be if you're feeling down, but who do you know who are you connected to that you can send a text, that you can send an email, that you can give a call, you can FaceTime, you can have a Zoom Thanksgiving? How can you be connected and how can you connect? We don't have to be alone. We're, we're together in this. And what, however you are 
viewing or listening to this, whether you're uh, with us uh, during the premiere at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday or you're, you're listening to this next Tuesday or whatever, you don't have to be alone. You can connect. God's given us a mission, and I'd rather do it with you than by myself, so let's do it together. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Hey, Pastor Adam here once again. I just want to say thank you for joining with us this morning for our Sunday service. If you haven't already, uh, just say hello in the chat. We'd love to know who you are and and that you're here with us this morning. Uh, We respond every Sunday morning to what God has been saying. And so God has been speaking to us. He's speaking to us through his word. Uh, He's speaking to us through the message. He's speaking to us through his Holy Spirit. And so we invite you to respond, and we respond in three main ways. Uh, We invite you to respond in worship. In just a moment, we're going to have a worship song. We invite you to respond in prayer. And, And if you don't sing at all during this song, but you just take time to pray either silently with yourself or with those that you're with, Uh, That is awesome. We also respond through giving, and uh, this is not a a plea for money. Uh, This is a way that people that go to Faith on Hill can worship the Lord through the giving of their resources and uh, support the work that God is doing here. But we do encourage everybody to give, and I'm not saying you have to give to our church. Find somewhere to be generous with the blessings and the resources God has given you. God's given us everything, and so we can respond in worship by being generous. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.